What did we think about these two chapters? Honestly, like really honestly, I felt like this chapter was when you're going through a dance of dragons, catching you up on what happened in a feast of crows that you may have forgotten about. That's interesting because in our combined reading order, there's really no need for that because, you know, the context is there. We just got done speaking to Cersei not too long ago. So we were very familiar with what's going on with Taiwan. But when it's been, you know, X amount of years and X amount of chapters. So when I was reading through this whole Davos chapter, I felt like this is supposed to summarize us on where we're supposed to be within the story and what Davos is doing and move on to the next one. So I think that there's some interesting things that we can pull out of here and unpack for sure, because there always is. But in terms of thrilling adventures, uh, this would not rank very high on that list. For me, this Davos chapter, and we, we should welcome everyone to the show. Uh, thanks for listening to Game of Thrones. We're reading, as usual, Halloween's over. Thanksgiving is coming. Winter is coming. <laughs> <laughs> Never gets old. I felt like we were treated to Davos detective work. Hmm. Davos plays detective. Copper for this apple, maybe not for the apple, maybe for the conversation. So what's going on with Wyatt Manderley? How are his daughters doing? How are his granddaughters doing? Any marriages on the horizon? Maybe one or two. What about his sons? I very much thought that this was a a character building chapter for Davos. Not that mm-hmm. all the others that preceded it aren't, but particularly because I felt that you got the perspective of somebody who has been to White Harbor before and last time he was here in a, in a much different role. And you just got the sense that he is somebody who is really conflicted in terms of what he should do, what's the right decision for him to make. And he could easily opt to go home and leave this role that he has been given uh, by Stannis, uh, but he opts to move forward with it. And uh, I just you know, am, am always interested in a Davos chapter, particularly because he is a favorite character of mine and, and certainly in the show. But in this chapter, it's it's very clear. You get a sense for his smuggler roots. Sounds kind of weird to say, but I, <laughs> you know, just kind of how he's going through and he's describing all the ships and he's describing mm-hmm. you know, White Harbor in, 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 from, a, from an overarching perspective. You can tell that, that this is sort of who he is at his core. Well, and he says at the very beginning of this chapter, the way he arrives, you know, he was he was planning to arrive to treat with Manderley on a great ship with a fleet following him. But instead, he's kind of just like rolling up in a not so grand way. And he says instead, he would smuggle himself into the city as he might have done 20 years before. Um, and so at the beginning of the chapter and then again at the end, um, which we'll talk about later, the story about people referring to ha- him as an ape. Is it what it is in, in Velvet? Yeah, Axel Florent, Sir Axel, the yeah. rock star. So I think that the whole, like you're kind of bringing this up, the whole great thing about this chapter, um, as much as I didn't think it was very adventurous, is that Davos is kind of wrestling with who he was and who he is now and what his job is now and to be back in a place where he has spent time before as the man he was before um, and then to be here now on official Hand of the King business um, is pretty interesting. Beautiful though, right? For George R. R. Martin to beset the story this way. And Davos came to terms with it himself as he was arriving, as he was looking around the corners and trying to figure out where Manderley could be raising these ships that he heard rumors of while he was in Sisterton, also then fearing for his life. It feels like a lesson, like the best laid plans. Mm-hmm. He would have loved to have arrived in true fashion 
no matter let's let's forget what the Lannisters are doing. Let's forget what we'll just call them the Crown are doing. Let's forget what the Boltons are doing as they're rising in the North, as we're consistently reminded through this chapter, the plight of Davos Seaworth, and let's forget what he's gone through to get there, his landing in Sisterton. The last others knew of him. You know, it was it was a dinner with Queen Selyse and Solider Son, and the thought of vessels and great ships, not riding the merry midwife into White Harbor and treating with what is one of the greater cities of the north, but riding with Sala and having a plan and having something to actually show for uh, this possible allegiance, like giving him a real reason to treat with Wyman Manderley. And you got to give this guy a lot of credit because you were, you were talking about the, the questioning he does himself, Micah, and I feel like Davos has done that more than once, except now reading his chapter, we can pull out of the text the true threat that's actually there. One, because we're paying attention so hard, but two, because it's it's all of the evidence is there. It would have been difficult anyway. It would have been difficult if the Lion Star weren't there and the phrase weren't there. It would have been difficult if the Boltons uh, weren't so powerful and if one of his sons weren't still in captivity to sway a great lord in any matter. Right. But he's coming in smuggling with People from Sisterton, you know, who not to say that we know Wyman Manderley will know how he got there, not to say that Wyman Manderley doesn't already know that he's there, but it's just all the circumstances are not in his favor. And we see our hand of the king who's going through these moments where he's questioning himself, he's questioning his agenda, but his resolve for Stannis is pushing him through. He's inside of a wine sink, a wine sink, the hand of the king, as he sort of accurately refers to himself, but almost ironically refers to himself, you know, between stories of Axel Florent flourishing about a Targaryen prince's pet ape that couldn't have done anything either while stabbing, you know, a a fire in his direction, basically saying, I should be the hand of the king. I'm a Florent. I'm highborn. I know that you have good clothes on, but who are you? And he's going through all this while his plan is just, I don't know, it's in a really tough spot. But as we see, his belief in Stannis, his belief in what is air quotes good is what propels him forward. Mm-hmm. And my favorite, I think my favorite line from the whole chapter plays off this idea that Stannis and what Stannis has done for him is kind of propelling him forward where it says Davos was a simple man raised up by chance and war and Stannis. And so I think that he realizes that the situation that he's in is not by his own. I don't know, actually, if that's a point that I want to make. He's loyal to a fault. Much like Ned. Yeah, 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 yeah. It reminds me a, a lot of what Danny's going through in the the next chapter that we have today because Zaro is is representing all of these very real circumstances to her and it's sort of the same her same uh, dedication to doing what is right by her moral compass even to the fault of it being something that leads to Ned getting beheaded on the sept the sept of Baylor. Um Davos is, you know, going through the same thing in his own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he brings up, like you said, very real situations that I'm not sure she's she's prepared to deal with. Uh, but for Davos, what I really enjoyed about this chapter was, as I mentioned earlier, the tie back to his past. Uh, you know, very early on in the chapter, it's mentioned that uh, Davos had always been fond of this city since first he'd come here as a cabin boy on Cobblecat. Though small compared to Old Town and King's Landing, it was clean and well-ordered, with wide, straight, cobbled streets that made it easy for a man to find his way. The houses were built of whitewashed stone with steeply pitched roofs of dark gray slate. And this is yet another introduction to a part of Westeros that we've heard a lot about, but have never really stepped foot in. And now through 
Stannis's hand of the king were here. And Davos has business that he needs to attend to, but this is also a place that he has been previously. So he should have some sort of you know, familiarity uh, with, with White Harbor uh, and really be able to navigate his way through. And, and you know, we see that later on when he steps foot in the inn. It's a very unique perspective because as we mentioned with Davos previously, this is an individual who is one of the few lowborn characters that we actually get perspective from uh, in this series. And, you know, he's recalling his past and, you know, I think that's part of why he has this bit of a struggle, uh, particularly when he starts to think about his family and, and whether or not he should just sell off and, and abandon his current position. And, and it's, and Zach, like you said, it's, it's not something that he's encountering for the first time. It's something that he's thought about previously, uh, and I think that's what part of what I mean, at least for me, endears Davos uh, to me as a character mm-hmm. is that he does care so much for his family. I mean, a lot of a lot of people do. A lot of people in the series care care a lot about their family, but I feel like he's in a very unique position. Uh, you know, he's very very loyal. He has qualities not too dissimilar from Ned, but if for some reason. He lets this sort of noble nature overshadow really what any other person in his position would do. I mean, he's he's free and clear to go and and sail home and and attend to his family and his remaining uh, children and his wife. And yes, he still has one who's in service of Davos, but there's no guarantee that Dav- that that's uh, sorry that's in service to Stannis. But there's no guarantee that Stannis is going to be successful. Um, and he's so far away from Stannis at this point that who cares? I mean, yeah, we learned from, I think, our first chapter with Davos, the first time we ever were in his head that he would never do something like that. Right. Someone who is so torn. I feel like every moment that we get alone with Davos, every moment that Davos gets alone with himself, I can't even think about the ones that are written. But every moment that Davos, Davos gets alone for himself, he is immediately he just goes right to the hard stuff. He's thinking about his sons dying on the Blackwater and what they died for. He's thinking of the Red Woman's role in that. He's thinking of his dedication to Stannis and how Stannis brought him up from his lowly position and gave him a purpose and gave him honor in his life. And he's thinking about how that makes Stannis a great man in himself who deserves his allegiance. And he's thinking that as he as he goes into the wine sink of the Lazy Eel, which again, I think it's I think it's important to note that George R. R. Martin is not all castles and battles. And I know that we've harped on that before, but in an unsuspecting chapter like this, we are given some really beautiful imagery. And I just want to read this because it stood out to me in the chapter. It says, Ro Horus, the Cobblecat's cranky old master, used to claim, this is when they were arriving, it's so beautiful, used to claim that he could tell one port from another just by the way they smelled. Cities were like women, he insisted. One, Each one had its own unique scent. Old Town was as flowery as a perfumed dowager. Lannis Port was a milkmaid, fresh and earthy, with wood smoke in her hair. King's Landing reeked like some unwashed whore, but White Harbor's scent was sharp and salty. A little fishy, too. <laughs> she smells the way a mermaid ought to smell, Moro said. She smells of the sea. And it just so happens that that's their house sigil. And there's a question as it relates to the loyalty of Wyman Menderley. Right? There's no love loss between the Menderleys and the Boltons. 
but we know that the Boltons have taken control of Winterfell. And the question remains with the phrase in play and, and clearly having phrase now here in White Harbor, who is Wyman Manterly and his family going to remain loyal to? Zach, you mentioned earlier the fact that one of his sons is still being held captive. Davos is going to have to try to successfully navigate the waters, not the real waters, but the the proverbial waters of this very, very tense relationship. I'm just, I'm worried for him. Uh, you know, here he is arriving and, you know, in the previous chapter, he was given direction to, to head to White Harbor, but I'm, I'm worried for his safety because I, I feel like despite previous uh, relationships between the Manderleys and the Boltons that things change and we've seen them change and you know they may change only for a brief period of time uh, as they seek to benefit uh, certain individuals but I don't know that that Davos is is by any means in in friendly territory here I think that he is going to really have to use his his intelligence, much like we saw him use it in the television show at the Iron Bank of Bravos to get himself uh, yeah. out of the situation. Mm-hmm. That's a cool that's a cool point. And George doesn't make the atmosphere easy for us to to read either if we want to play our own detectives in this chapter. Obviously we know what eventually happens, but picture yourself right now, you're you're visiting White Harbor for the first time. You're not sure what's going to happen with Davos. And Eventually, we learn through the journey of the chapter that, yes, White Harbor is set for war. But at the beginning of the chapter, it was only a rumor of war galleys that were possibly being constructed. And then we learned of the many layers of the harbor and how the inner harbor is better and has hidden walls of the Wolf's Hill or something. You know what I mean? Like it was it was meandering. And then we eventually got to that conclusion. And then eventually we saw the Lion Star and we still don't know what that means. We still really don't know what that means. He didn't learn enough from the last place he visited. He's not learning enough through sort of casually fake drinking wine inside of the lazy eel and overhearing gossipy sailors. He doesn't have a specific answer. He doesn't have the answer that he was looking for that would give him the resolve to either barge through the door and talk to Wyman Manderley or get the hell out of Dodge. And I'm just curious, what do you, what do you, what do you guys make of this White Harbor theme like what is it what do you think george was saying here like it's set for war but it's in a place that's sort of removed from everything and it's in the north but not quite yet removed from everything has a lot of money still sort of matters and there are the possibility of 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 wyman siding with several people and i feel like he's reflecting that in his city i think that he is being very careful in terms of how he plays his cards because you know, he still has a son who's in captivity and he, he doesn't want to risk losing him. And I think that if he shows his hand too soon, uh, because I, I think we're all in agreement that Wyman at least has a very strong allegiance to the Starks. And that may manifest itself in future chapters in terms of being very clear uh, to us as readers. But I think that's fair to say. Uh, however, we all know that so many different lords are confronted with playing this game and they have to do so in a way that is going to benefit uh, themselves. And and sometimes that means doing things that they wouldn't otherwise do. And I think you know, certainly having the presence of the phrase uh, makes 
his family act in a way that they wouldn't otherwise act. Uh, and I think that, again, that's more up for discussion in future chapters as Davos finally comes face to face with Lord Manderley. Uh, but uh, I, that's really how I feel about it. You know, th th there's a, a necessity in terms of having to make things appear a certain way in order to appease not just the phrase, but to appease the Lannisters uh, if mm -hmm. he has any hope of retrieving his son. And that's not to say that he doesn't still deep down have a loyalty to the Starks or wouldn't consider entertaining Davos and proposals from Stannis. Uh, it just means that he needs to be very careful in terms of how he goes about approaching this. You're talking about all these major players within this war game, whatever you want to call it. Davos realizes that nobody's even talking about Stannis at all. Yeah. That his name isn't even being mentioned as he's hearing overhearing all these different conversations. Like I said earlier, kind of a summary of, of what's been happening in a feast for crows. Um and he hears about these different alliances and, and movements, but he doesn't hear a single thing of Stannis. It says no one spoke of King Stannis. No one even seemed to know that his grace had come north to help defend the wall. And so I think that in terms of who we're supposed to be appeasing and what are the safer options? Things aren't looking so great because nobody even is whispering about Stannis. That's such a juxtaposition by George because we were sort of lulled into this this grandiose Wyman Manderley's really got his stuff figured out. And maybe he does, but the the world around them still is unaware of of not only Stannis, but they're unaware of the wildlings and the whites. And all they all they're talking about are the stuff that they saw beyond the wall at Eastwatch. And that's what Stannis that's what Davos just came from. And so he's kind of like hit on the head with a, with a, with a blast of reality. And it's like, well, if you could have added something else in there that would have made this a little bit harder for him to decide if he was actually going to do it, that was that was probably it. No one even mentioning Stannis. Right. But is that so surprising at the end of the day? I mean, I feel like Stannis is often forgotten, particularly because he's gone north and he's fighting a battle that, quite frankly, nobody in the south seems to care very much about. Yeah, nobody wanted to fight it. The focus is very much on the fact that Tywin Lannister is dead, he was killed by Tyrion, and the stories, uh, you know, we learn inside of this bar, this pub. Uh, and, and I really like the fact that Davos is kind of just sitting back with his feet up on the table. Uh, you know, he blows the candle out and, and, you know, sinks back into the shadows to kind of observe everything that's going on around him. And it's, it's very much what a smuggler would do. It's like Aragorn from Lord <laughs> of the Rings and the Prancing Pony. Yeah. Yeah. It's, not that George ever read those books. Not that he ever read those <laughs> books. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's kind of just uh, doing what a smart advisor to a king would do, or, or really just what any common person would do who's looking for information on what is happening in, in Westeros. Uh, you know, he's he's sinking back into the shadows, but he's he's gaining information on, on yeah. what has happened in the time that he's been up north. And sure, he's gotten bits and pieces of information, but uh, what better place to learn about what's happening than inside a, a place like this? And maybe not all the information is 100% accurate, but I think he's getting uh, really good pieces of information that we have already read about. Uh, you know, the fact that 
Lysa Aaron has been killed, and Littlefinger is now in charge of the Vale. Bell and Greyjoy is dead, right? And and there's a King's Moot going on. Uh, you know, Sander Clegane is still on the run, uh, and and so Mir, Lys, and and Tyrosh are in war with each other. It, you know, it, these are important bits of information that somebody in in his position hasn't really been that privy to uh, prior to this, and and so. It'd be interesting to see how he takes this information and uses it moving forward. It's so cool when you really think about it, because the point about him being lowborn, but assessing the situation with as much deafness as he is here is uh, is a fantastic point. And I feel like it, it's so beautiful when you really think about it. George R. R. Martin is writing this story, and I'm not sure if he's saying that all common people um, have the sensibilities that a lot of those who are separated from real hardship uh, have. But I know for sure that he's saying that Davos does. And that gets me really excited about the future because we know from the television show, again, it might be total bullshit, that Davos is hanging out with Jon Snow and Jon is just labeled King of the North. Daenerys is on her way. I'm just thinking about the kinds of people that are in charge or who are counseling each other. And there's no better person that I'd rather be at his side. And I say the same for Tyrion and Daenerys. But it's so interesting because Davos is the guy who comes here and eats the apple or sits in the back of the bar, draws no attention to himself, knows exactly what to say. And I can't say the same for any of our other point of view characters, not even Tyrion, who's so smart. It's not only because he's a dwarf that he would draw much more attention to himself than is necessary. It's not only because he's famous. Uh, there's just a lot. There's a lot of different things about these kinds of people. And, and Davos is, uh, you know, he's pulling it off. And this is a very singular moment. But I think that George is telling us a lot more. And it basically boils down to Davos is a smart guy. He knows what he's doing. And he's exceptionally brave for going into this. With all of his faults, all the things that he's thinking back horribly on, they make him who he is. You know, these are very human motivations and they're very human things to be sad about. And we can relate to him because it would be a lot. It'd be really tough to go through, mm -hmm. you know, and he's still doing it. He's still pushing forward. And if he makes it as far as he can, I think he's going to be such an interesting character to have. In the end game, when shit starts to really hit the fan and there's super supernatural going on and it's not just him versus this guy might not like me or he may hang me on the side of his building. Yeah, I agree. And it's as we were talking about at the beginning of the chapter, it's just interesting to be able to get him being so successful in terms of the information he's able to gather and the place he's able to go in a place that he's been before and that his past more so than usual probably is a huge strength to him while he's in this situation because he knows where to go and he knows who to listen to and um, he knows how to keep his ears to the ground without drawing attention because he's I mean they describe him more and more or over and over again in this chapter that he's just nobody looks as common as he does and nobody acts as normal as he does and, and what a huge strength that that's going to be and continues to be for him. So this is our Dav Davos appreciation hour. We're glad that you joined us. <laughs> well, my love for Davos, I don't know about you guys or anybody listening, has increased a billion percent after season six. Like I always thought he was a great and interesting character, but I think that ever since season six, I've just been on the Davos hype train. Did you guys catch the small Jon Snow reference when the, the sailors were drinking the sour wine and they were talking about they were talking about having seen things out east remember they were talking about rumors of daenerys and karth and i can't say her name right right they couldn't say her name right and davos sweeps in and helps but there was a line that said are we sure they killed prince rhaegar's son are we sure they killed prince rhaegar's son a babe he was <laughs> mm. are we sure they're talking about john 
probably not talking about John at all. <laughs> now that I realize that, please make fun of me, everyone. I was just no, so, I'm no, just... <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, I think it's fair, certainly after season six, to speculate that they could be talking about John, but I also feel like they could be talking about Aegon. Yeah. See, the thing is, though, if they're not talking about John, then they're it's it still could be a, like a little wink, like he. Like just a little <laughs> wink, <laughs> and, and you know we're certainly getting closer and closer to that reveal in Dance with Dragons about another Targaryen potentially still being alive. So it's uh, it's there. You Go know, on, I, sir. Tell us your feelings. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard because I know we're kind of going through this semi spoiler free, but uh, yeah, I, I, I'm not. Surprised that George would drop another little nugget uh, in a chapter like this as we sit inside. Was it the lazy eel? Uh, mm-hmm. And, and you know, with Davos, you know, it's it's such a world away, yet still here we are having a conversation about what's happening out east with Daenerys and uh, the Targaryens and and who's alive and who's. Not right. I mean, there's mention of well, I didn't see Joffrey's corpse, I didn't see Robert's corpse, so maybe they're all still alive somewhere, you know, just chilling, hanging out in the Nightlands. Maybe, maybe we'll see them soon. I hope nobody takes that as evidence for their theories that either of them are alive. I hope they do. Go for it. <laughs> uh, to Davos, the future is always beckoning, right? Whether it's helping out Stannis or whether it's a compelling future with his children. One voyage to the east and a man could live as rich as a lord until the end of his days. When he'd been younger, Davos had dreamed of making such voyages himself, but the years went dancing by like moths around a flame, and somehow the time had never been quite right. Does that sound familiar to anyone? One day, he told himself, one day when the war is done and King Stannis sits the Iron Throne and has no more need of Onion Knights, I'll take Devin with me, Steph and Stanny, too, if they're old enough. Great reading. We'll see these dragons and all the wonders of the world. And then we go to Daenerys' chapter. Thanks, George. <laughs> Filled with dragons and wonders of the world. What are the chances that um, they're sitting inside this sinkhole in the middle of White Harbor talking about the Targaryens, and then yet our next chapter takes us to Daenerys? I'd say those chances are pretty high because that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, it it's always interesting to me, though, how we find out the most... Interesting pieces of information while we're sitting inside of a bar. George writes it real, man. He writes it real. <laughs> I'm wondering if he's had a few of those experiences himself somewhere along the way. I'm sure. I mean, Absolutely. Twitter's fairly new, you know, and it's definitely not in Westeros. So I would say that, you know, they did what they had to do and it works. Yeah. Look. And I will say a couple of uh, references were made throughout the Davos chapter to the Wolf's Den yep. in, in White Harbor, uh, which is... Not coincidental, considering that is where Davos uh, ends up in the coming chapters. So, mm-hmm. I, I just love the history. I, I, and it's so well woven through these chapters uh, leading up to uh, where Davos is going to be going. And then we don't see Davos, I think, much for the rest of A Dance with Dragons. And then we won't see him much, that means, for a while until George decides to fucking write The Winds of Winter. <laughs> Uh, Damn. No pressure, George. Nope. Not really for waiting or anything. I think this election may have been a bit of a setback for him. Although I, I did hear that George did his best writing during the administration and the, the aughts in the 2000s through 2008. So, mm. well, just saying. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. 
This episode is brought to you by Movement Watches. Movement Watches, our friend, Micah's great friend in the watch industry, a company started by two broke college kids that wanted to wear stylish watches, but couldn't afford them. So they started their own watch company, and now Movement can be found on Micah's wrist, walking around the city of New York City, hanging out in the White House. How's it been treating you so far? <laughs> That's a hell of a plug. It is a hell of a plug. You were wearing it in the uh, the Truman Bowling Alley, just hanging out in the White House during election week. What was that like? It, it definitely improved my uh, my bowling game. Right? Yeah. I mean, at least that's what I give it credit for. So <laughs> one of the things that I really like about movement watches is they're affordable. You know, they start at just $95. And in most department stores, you're looking at somewhere in the neighborhood of four to 500 bucks. Be like Micah and get 15% off today. With free shipping and free returns by going to MVMT, that's movementwatches.com slash owns. The watch has a really clean design. I know this because Micah has been getting compliments ever since he put it on. Now is the time to step up your watch game. Go to movementwatches.com slash owns. Join the movement. This episode is brought to you by Dollar Shave Club. Are you sick of choosing between overpriced razors and low quality plastic disposables? Dollarshaveclub.com has your solution. Their razors provide a high-quality, close shave for the price of a disposable. And to prove just how amazing their shave really is, right now, all new members can get started with a one-month trial of any razor for just $1, including their six-blade executive razor. That's their best for a buck. DollarShaveClub.com delivers amazing razors right to my door for a fraction of the price of what I used to pay. Seriously, I have no reason to deal with the drugstore hassle and battle the locked up Razor Fortress ever again. And neither will you when you join the club. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com and pick a razor that works for you from their lineup of amazing blades. They're all just a buck for the first month, including free shipping. Here's your chance to discover why millions and millions of members like me love Dollar Shave Club. You can get one month trial of any razor for a buck. Seriously, there's no catch, no hidden fees or commitments, and you can cancel whenever you like. You have nothing to lose. So get all the details at dollarshaveclub.com slash owns. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash O-W-N-S. But out east, we are treated to the a, dancers. <laughs> I mean, how do we even uh, just you want me to like read that just, first paragraph for you? You know what? Go, go ahead and read it. Fire in. that shit up. All right. The dancers shimmered, their sleek shaved bodies covered with a fine sheen of oil. Mm. Blazing torches whirled from hand to hand to the beat of drums and the trilling of a flute. <laughs> Whenever two torches crossed in the air, a naked girl leapt between them, spinning. The torchlight shone off oiled limb and breast and buttocks. This is like Con of Thrones, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> this is the opening ceremony. Exclusive insight into uh, what Con of Thrones is going <laughs> to look like. I mean, this is the height of Eastern entertainment, right? Mm-hmm. We've got the heads of, of several states. We've got Zaro Zohan Duck Sauce <laughs> visiting He's back. Karth. He's back with us. He's not dead. <laughs> I couldn't get over that these first few pages of just how badass these people are yeah yeah it's like the ultimate i mean it's the ultimate party i mean dan even comments on like how good the wine is and like everything is just perfect just the sin and pleasure and and decadence and ecstasy of these rich people while the city suffers below is uh such a such an interesting thing for george Dupin, and it, uh, it obviously says a lot because what's happening here you know they're they're making deals that 
that or, or trying to make deals that control the, the the fate of so many millions of lives. Totally. And as they do it, there's just naked people dancing and fucking each other as a part of entertainment, just getting drunk, just having a blast because that's what they do because they're the people that are there right now. That's like you said, they're also doing work. I think that Danny, I mean, so this whole thing is to honor Zara, right? And so I think she's doing her best to get what she needs out of him and what better way yeah. than a situation like this. And they're playing the shit out of each other, yeah. guys. <laughs> it's I didn't good. Remember. Yeah. It's been a while since I've read Zaro since we did a Clash of Kings, but this guy is is formidable. He brought his A game to this party. Daenerys brought her toe card to her to this party. I mean, it's time. Yeah. This chapter was really good. I liked it a lot. I really liked their back and forth conversation. I feel like I feel like oftentimes Danny kind of is able to play her trump card a little bit and that her ideology and her her idealism um, with the way that the world needs to look typically tends to kind of shut people up, I think. I feel like more often than not. And so in this situation when she's going head to head with somebody who is just as smart as her and in multiple points of these conversations, she has nothing to say back. Like she, she doesn't know how to argue back against anything that, that Zara was throwing at her. It's not only interesting for the two of them, but I think it's interesting for us as readers, as we're thinking about the decisions that she's making um, and whether or not we agree with her um, and this whole Miranese knot that we're kind of what? in the middle of. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just think that there's this was a really great chapter. Yeah. Well, and it's good to see that Zaro is not locked up in a vault somewhere with yeah. no no mm-hmm. chance of escape whatsoever. What Zaro makes it, he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Duck sauce lives, and he lives. What I really thought about this chapter was that it was a last dis excuse me last ditch attempt for her to leave, and yeah, this is somebody who I genuinely think on some level cares about her. And, and is trying to tell her, look, here are ships for you to be able to sail back to Westeros. Take them and do as I tell you, because you have left an absolute mess in your wake. And it's all starting to bubble to the surface. You already have enough issues to deal with here in Marine. But everything that you've left behind, Karth, Astapor, Yonkai... It's a mess, and and you you you're not prepared to deal with the consequences of those actions. So, here are these ships. I'm giving you the opportunity to leave, and you should take it. And we all know she, of course, chooses not to do that. But I, I genuinely feel like for for all of his peculiarities, he's he does really genuinely care i think so too well, he cares about something because he made the trip and he made the trip with 13 galleys exactly you know? and he is all business i mean this is a this is guys this is a party i'm talking like this is how the one percent <clears throat> gets their job done and you were saying that they're working yeah this is their business meeting their business meeting has naked jugglers uh everyone's <laughs> drunk Almost everyone, the shave paint, Resnick, all the people that surround Danny, the people that I'm sure Zaro brought not as Barristan. well. Not Barristan. Not <laughs> Barristan. I leave him out on default. But everybody, everybody is susceptible to this atmosphere. Everybody except Eri and Jiqui are fucked up. 
and they're having a great time. And even Eerie and Jiqui are a little bit in on what's going on. They're even a little bit sucked in by the atmosphere. You remember that time they're talking because you know all the points that you made, Micah? Zaro and Danny, they have a dance throughout this whole thing. And they dance each other to get to this point of frank conversation because it doesn't start like that. He's basically saying, at first, I am drunk with the sight of you. He makes a joke about Barristan the old. It's all safe. And he talks about marriage. And this is when I feel like even Erie and Jiqui, because to me, they were the kind of anchors other than Barristan, because everyone else is just just like sweating and just getting into it. They're trying not to get sucked into this atmosphere, but they are. Even Erie says, oh, a Khaleesi needs a call. It is known. A Khaleesi must have a call. It is known. Fills his cup. Fills her cup. It is known. It's like, well, even she's getting sucked into it. And she's, you know, she's rock solid. What's going on here? Good thing I just watched Wolf on Wall Street. Right? <laughs> because it's 100% the same. It is a bit wild, right? Like, it, what they're doing is wild. I, I don't think that, uh, I mean, obviously the show didn't capture this part of it at all. But I don't think that enough people talk about how, uh, you know, Essos has been around longer than Westeros. And this goes to the history stuff that you love, Micah. There was some of that here, but all the clues are written into all of this. Essos has been around for long enough. Karth is such a grand magisterial city. They're talking about the bronze in the hills and they're like, oh, the days of bronze are over. You know, they're so comfortable. The Valyria fell ages ago. And it's just this is how they do it. This is their established order of things. This is how they get stuff done. It's wild, man. They're having a crazy time. Mm-hmm. It's one big orgy. <laughs> I mean, I'm, if I'm you sure saw the last I, episode of Westworld or two episodes ago, then you know what we're talking about. I think it's crazier than that, though, man. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? I really do. Because even the queen, right? Even the queen's getting wine drunk. Not to say that she normally wouldn't, but this is an important business meeting. They're taking it. Everyone's taking it seriously. I'm just saying. Barristan's looking around. He's just like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> he's like, I thought King Robert had a problem. I feel like the <laughs> conversation is productive, though. And I think it, it lends itself to maybe not exactly what Zara wants. Um, but I think that in terms of Danny's perspective, I think it's a productive conversation. And, and that the outcome may not, again, have been the way Zara or anybody else in anywhere uh, had hoped for, as he kind of mentions that as she says, she's going to stick around. He mentions how many enemies she's got. But I think that he brings up a lot of really interesting points just about the job she's done. You mentioned this earlier, but she's kind of left these cities with a bigger problem than maybe she showed up with. Um, And I think that this kind of ties into not only how the people who are living there feel about her, but I think us as a reader, how we're supposed to be feeling about her. I know that it's fairly divided on and we talk about this all the time, whether or not what Danny is doing is quote unquote morally right. And so to listen to Zara's arguments about what she's doing and kind of letting her know that, hey, like this city once was grand and rich and powerful, and now it's poor and hungry and raged with war is what you're doing helpful. Like is what you're doing creating any real progress, which I think is just an interesting argument. Um, that we continue to have over and over again with Danny in every new situation that she finds herself in. I feel like this was the tipping point, though, right? Because he, while he's speaking through metaphors, while they both are sort of giving lessons to each other about soldiers and cities and leaders, this might be the most definitive time in my memory um, that Daenerys is kind of being 
put in her place. And I think that Hannah, the point that you were making is, is, is very sound. Like that, I feel that this is the progress along much like, you know, guys, you know, we're supposed to feel about Tyrion a little differently. If you really pay attention to it with what he's going through now, I feel like this might be the progress along that Danny is making, not only to herself and the people around her, but to us. So when she eventually reaches that moment of exaltation and realization that she is fire and blood and she will rain fucking hell on her enemies uh, will be even greater because now she's trying to play politics and she's sufficiently outmatched and she sufficiently fails on all these several points and she's given this last option sort of well yeah she and, and she makes her bed right and we see nothing but possible failure on the horizon so what better way for Daenerys to be reclaimed in our eyes or to, to rise up to this grand space in our eyes uh, than having a real conflict to go against and not just be an actual conflict outside of her walls and with people going against her. But I think more importantly, a vast conflict inside of herself, something that she needs to come to a massive realization of something that she needs to come to terms with and know about herself before she plans to one, take Westeros, or more importantly, ever have the courage to face the White Walkers and defeat them. Can we talk about the fleet that she gets offered, though? We're talking about her having real or an option to get out, which I think is kind of true, but he doesn't really offer her enough. I think that they could easily give her more than what they offer her. And so while it is kind of this, hey, get out of the situation, we want you out of here, there's no real catch to it. How come they didn't give her enough to actually leave? You know, it was kind of my question, seeing as they want her out so badly. And I guess Danny could have asked for more ships if she was serious about it. But it just seems like a half response of, hey, here's like 13, which, you know, we know that there's more than that out there. So why don't you get out of here? Not only causing her to think about leaving just in general, but leaving everybody behind as well and not being able to take her people with her. Yeah. is a weird offer. In my opinion. Well, were the 13 supposed to represent the 13 from Karth? Yeah. Yeah. Danny suspected that that each of the 13 were coaxed by Zaro to give up one of their own ships in order to, to, I guess, all be sort of responsible for trade coming back to Marine properly. And also because she doesn't believe that Zaro would give her any of his own ships mm-hmm. if it wasn't for like direct profit. And what is the profit, though? That I mean, that's what I'm trying to really understand here. I mean, let's say that she makes the decision, okay, fine, I'm going to take these ships and I'm going to sail back to Westeros. What does Zaro gain at the end of the day? Is it just the the peace of mind and knowing that Danny is no longer you know, really a, a factor to be contended with in, in, in the East in that she's now on her way back to Westeros? So all these cities that she has sort of taken control of and 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 left to develop on on their own are are no longer subject to her rule or no longer subject to her control i think he wants to enslave everyone again like i think that he gains profit out of things going back the way they were and there's this really great line the magnificence that is the queen of cities rests upon the backs of slaves. As you ask yourself, if all man must grub in the dirt for food, how shall any man lift his eyes to contemplate the stars? If each of us must break his back to build a hovel, who shall raise the temples to glorify the gods? For some men to be great, others must be enslaved. Which I think 
says everything right there about what he wants to do. And I think that getting Danny out of there allows them to go back to this way of life. What do you guys think George is doing here? Because he gives Zaro the grandest of entrances, 13 ships plus his. They greet him in this kind of party. He's not at all impressed with Daenerys' bare flesh. He's not, even though he's drinking, uh, acting silly like some of the other people in the company are acting. And they very slyly, just just the way it would happen, uh, let's take a walk. And they go out, just the two of them, the two guys in charge of all of this craziness. Keep in mind, they're on the top of a great pyramid, among other pyramids. And they're walking out on the terrace, right? This guy who's commanded this much respect in our minds, even though we might not like him, just look at the evidence of the, the air quotes, empire that he's built for himself. And all the truth that he's been speaking before that quote, for him to say something that is so morally questionable to people like us, what is what is George saying here? Because he's he's got all this plus on him, but are we just supposed to disregard this very matter-of-fact truth that he tells us about if men must grub in the dirt for food, how shall any man lift his eyes to comp- contemplate the stars? Is George saying that sacrifice, even in the modern world, is necessary for true progress? That's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a, a commentary on society as a whole. Whether this current situation, modern society, I think it's like a hard look at kind of the way that people live in general. I think so too. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious as to what the lesson is here. Is the lesson... It can be changed with counsel. It, it all people can look to the stars, or is the lesson that this is the world, and it's in Westeros or it's wherever. I don't think we. I think that depending on how successful Danny is in her endeavors, I think that that's what George is going to be trying to say to us. You know, I think it's too. Right. I think we're still too early on in where she is in Marine to really be able to pull out, well, so what is all this supposed to mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that there is a dragon that Danny has that can blow as much smoke up her ass as Zaro can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this... <laughs> Thanks for that this image, dude, Micah. <laughs> no, he is. I mean, he's he's just, he's so full of shit. In, yeah, he really every is. little elegant uh conversation that he has with her i mean to me what what tops it off is just the fact that he has zero interest really in her i mean that that's brought up multiple times i mean this this beautiful woman who he's trying supposedly to court yet his eyes you know go off in the direction of the male dancers so uh you know it it's just what is what is his purpose here you know and and at and I think that's what we're all really trying to get at is is really, you know, he's there to push her to go back to Westeros. And he he has no real truth or basis in, in most of what he has to say. He's just trying to come up with the most convincing argument possible to push her in that direction. What a test from the gods for Daenerys. And it's not only difficult a decision fiscally or or in in the root of her overall path, but if she doesn't make a decision soon, I mean, this guy left a bloody glove behind. The universal associate symbol, I'm assuming, of war. The stakes are very, 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 very high. And she's being forced to make a decision quickly. Not in two or three years, like she said to Zaro, but shit's going down. What a bold move mm-hmm. from this guy. 
They must really like slaves. They must really <laughs> like slaves, like a lot. I would think so. I think based off every one of his comments. Yeah, based on the if, evidence. I mean, I don't know if it's necessarily like about slavery. I think that he's just kind of against this egalitarian view that Danny has. But no matter what decision she has to make, all of them are bad. Like, I think that she can't go to Westeros with what's been offered to her because I don't think that that's enough for her to try to accomplish what she's trying to accomplish. She can't really stay because she's surrounded by so many enemies at this point. And she also can't really leave. Um, not only because she doesn't have, I think the means necessary to make it, but because she can't like her moral compass won't allow her um, to go. And I think that out of all the options that she has, whatever one helps her sleep best at night, I think that's the one that she picked. And so I think that that's the best option. If, if you can even say that there is a best option. And I don't think that she came at him poorly. You know, she didn't completely shut him down mm-hmm. the night of. She let her Admiral Rolio take a look at the ships, look him over, respect his offer. And when it came time, um, you know, she tells him, I'll take these ships. It's only 13 ships. I know you got a lot more. So let's just get that off the table. You brought the ships. It'll be more annoying for you to take them back. I'll keep them. Okay, good. And in exchange, we will be your ally forever. And et cetera, et cetera. No. Flat no to Daenerys. So all of the pleasantries from the night before are gone. And we're seeing firsthand the kind of opposition that she's going to be facing for the rest of this book. Mm-hmm. Who does she, what is it? The lamb men that they're called? They've got her back and it's kind of like, well, it's better than none at all or something that she says. Yeah, what you can get. She gets a cool tapestry. Yeah. Very nice gift. I'm quite fond of it as well. Wish I had one. Well, that's kind of overshadowed, like you said, by the bloody glove that she gets at the end of the chapter. So it's very clear that she's not wanted in the East. And I feel like Barristan tries to plead with her and tell her, even, even Grolio does at some point that- It'd be such a mistake to not take these ships and head back to Westeros where once people saw the Targaryen banners, they would flock to her. They, you know, And in all fairness, there's no guarantee, but I think it's a pretty safe bet. If you have one of the most revered knights in the history of the Seven Kingdoms telling you that if you sailed back to Westeros flying the Targaryen banners that there would be many people that would rally to your cause, then maybe you should take his advice. And 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 I understand what it is that she's trying to accomplish here. And you know, we've discussed it pretty much at length on, on many an episode in terms of it, it it's almost like Ned where he's loyal to a fault. There's this there's this inherent nature within Daenerys that is trying to free these people who have been held in captivity for so long in these these slave cities. But you wonder, is it almost to a fault for her? Not saying that she's not doing the right thing. Of course she is, but right. is it going to be her undoing before she's able to even get back to what it is that, that she is supposed to try and achieve? And I feel like all these people here are trying to tell her whether they're on her side or or they're adversarial, leave, go home, get away, you know, and 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 she just doesn't want to hear it and it's it's worrisome for for her future. Right. I think that, that that that's exactly right. Like that's a perfect summary of every conversation in this chapter. And it's like what Zach was saying earlier, 
what are we trying what are we supposed to learn from this like what's the outcome um and it'll be interesting to see you know pages and books away from from this whether or not we can look back and say danny was successful she knew what she was doing or like you're saying micah this is her undoing and this is why she failed i believe that this is all a test for her and i believe that it gets no stronger than sir barrison being on one knee and telling her straight up with more clarity than he's ever told her uh, from any counsel he's ever given her they will tell you she has come. They will shout to one another in glad voices. Prince Rhaegar's sister has come home at last. I mean, this is some heavy stuff coming from Barristan. And just before that, she's got three of her council, your grace, magnificence, your worship, shouting at her at the same time, all these different titles, all these different uh, greetings, all these different gr- grandiosities that they refer to her to. And she's being served with this insanely large decision. With the stakes are so high, like I said, all of these people, everything's happening. But more important than that, we, we think we look to the end of uh, the story and her true destiny and 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 what, what role she'll play, and that. And I, I can't help but look at this stuff and say, even though these decisions are hard and difficult, maybe she should go back to Westeros. Maybe she should protect the people that she came in and ruined everything for. Like there's there's both moral and technical advice that we could give her that would either be victorious in one regard technically or victorious in one regard morally she saved them all the pale mare never came etc but i think that the only way that that daenerys can truly rise to her potential and i think that that's the point right with all of this she's doing if she is fated to be someone that helps control the destiny of this world she needs to be sure about the decisions she makes within herself take counsel yes but not let that counsel guide her completely because at the end of the day i love barristan selmy he's legendary and victorious but i think when danny writes her story like barristan's not going to hold a candle to her legend and she needs to trust herself because it's her that is doing this right and if she's been going through trials and tribulations throughout this whole story i mean it's just only going to get harder i think that that maybe we're going to see even harder decisions and harder circumstances for Daenerys later on. I think so too. Yeah, if there's one thing you can say about Danny is that she's been true to herself. So you got to give her props for that. She just has a very strong conviction within herself as to how she should rule. And it's clear that as she's gone from city to city that she has done what she has felt is in the best interest of the people, maybe some would argue what's in her own best interest may not also be what's in the best interest of the people. And I think that it's so hard to sit here subjectively and say that she's either doing the right thing or she's doing the wrong thing. But what's clear is that there's been no clear evidence that what she has done has been good for Karth, for Yung Kai, for Astapor, for Marine. Because these are these have been cities that have been founded um, and and profit off of of, of slavery, and th- this is the only life that these people have have known. And I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that that is such a hard thing for her to try and break. And she's seen that when she has tried to do that, it's only resulted in more chaos and more trouble for her and for the people than what was there when she initially showed up. At least that's the way that George has written it so far. So even though she has the best interest of those people at heart, it hasn't necessarily proven that her actions 
have made it a better situation at the end of the day. Not to say that by the end of the story that that might not change, but we've seen from all these uprisings that have taken place and from different slavers trying to retake control of the city, multiple cities that she's left, that there's no clear indication that what she has done has made them any better off than when than prior to her arrival. Mm-hmm. Aside from the people that she has taken with her as she's moved from one city to the other, you know, and and I'm not trying to be a downer here. I'm I'm not trying to you know, say that that what she has done has not been without its merits. I definitely think that she has done some really amazing things. The problem though is that what she's up against is greater, I think, than what she initially expected. And and really, you know, you can compare it to some things that have taken place in in modern day where you go in, but you don't necessarily have an exit strategy or you don't necessarily have a strategy for what is to happen beyond from that time when you leave. And what happens is you end up leaving a situation worse off than when you initially got there. And I think that that's exemplified in what we're seeing in some of these slaver cities. The best laid yeah, plans. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, the best laid plans. Yeah. Well, we're lucky because we get to see what happens next. Yeah, well, for now. We're not stuck in Marine. Until we reach the last <laughs> yeah. any chapter and then George yeah. has to get writing a little bit faster. Well, uh, I loved these two chapters. And I know that you felt like the Davos one was a bit slow. I but- know. It's like, it's one of those things where I come in, I can't tell you how often... I mean, not that often, but I'll be like, oh, the chapter is kind of boring. And then we'll finish recording. I'm like, wow, that was a really great chapter. <laughs> so <laughs> like George is going in on some stuff. Done it again. Yeah. That just goes to show you when you're paying attention, there's something great in every sentence. So I'm going to give my my own to the horrors of the lazy eel. <laughs> uh, so I'll, I'll do the exchange. Uh, a dusk fell outside. The benches at the eel began to fill with sailors. Davos called to the proprietor for another cup. When he brought it, he brought him a candle, too. You want food, the man asked? We got meat pies. What kind of meat is in them? The usual kind. It's good. The whores laughed. It's gray, he means, one said. Shut your bruddy yap. You eat them. To which they replied, I eat all kinds (laughs) of shit. Doesn't mean I like it. Trustworthy women. I'm going to give my own to the apple seller for the Davos chapter. Um, and the, the exchange that Davos has with, with them, which I'll read, it says, does Lord Wyman mean to join the bastard? Well, said the apple seller, the next time his lordship comes down here hungry <laughs> for an apple, I'll be sure to ask him. And Davos goes, I heard his daughter uh, was wed to some fray. His granddaughter. I heard that too, but his lordship forgot to invite me to the wedding. <laughs> and he said, here, are you going to finish that? I'll take the rest back. That the Them seeds is good. So I thought that was really funny because it's like, why would I know? about any of this. I'm just selling apples. I'm going to give my own to the woman washing her small clothes near a statue, a monument in this storied place and drying them on the statue's trident. Who doesn't? I mean, <laughs> seems like a pretty good place to dry your clothes. It's just like, come on. <laughs> That's crazy. And for Danny? This chapter is hard. Yeah. I mean, I'll go for the funny moment again uh, when Zaro mentions Sir Barristan calling him Barristan the Old and then says, your bear knight was young and devoted to you. And she's like, I don't want to talk about Jorah. And he says, to be sure, the man was coarse and hairy. This chapter was full of them. 
I think I need to give it to the Brazen Beasts, though. Just the concept of, of them patrolling Marine inside and outside of pyramids and their garb is that of uh, Miranese resistance and their face is that of different kinds of animals and they look absolutely crazy. And as we go along in the books, we're going to be encountering them and we encounter people with the face of a jackal and that's pretty cool. It's scary. I like it. I'm going to give my own to... Uh, at the very beginning of the chapter during this crazy party um, where we kind of go through everybody's reactions to everything, the shave pate's ugly, oily face was as stern as ever, but he missed nothing. <laughs> that was really funny. Before we get into reading everybody's owns, I put this person's tweet in here <laughs> because we don't have to talk about it, but they tweeted at us. <laughs> they tweeted at us this blasphemous thing. Let me just read Hannah's note on it. She just... <laughs> She just wrote, drag him. <laughs> That's so intense. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Jay. Um, so Jay, at JKJin12. Um, if you want to tweet says, them, that's their exact Twitter handle. <laughs> Please don't. Um, it says, I know this question is way overdue, but at Game of Bones, why was Hodor such a likable character? Me equal horrible for not caring about his death? Question mark. <laughs> wow. I was like, wait, Jay, what? <laughs> can we just call Christian right now? <laughs> oh, boy. I just feel like, what is there not to like about Hodor, right? Like, how can you? I'm like, fine if you're not. I don't like how tall he is. He's just too <laughs> yeah, tall. He's just like this perfect, gentle giant. So if you're not sad about his death, then like that's a that's that's on you, I guess. But thanks for well, tuning at us anyway. <laughs> consider yourself dragged, Jay. I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> go on with the show. Thanks for writing, though. That's a good question. Mm. We had two unmistakably cool chapters, and I'm guessing we've got some owns for them, so we can just go on with those. Sounds good to me. The first own comes from Claire Fleischer at Claire Fleischer. No, sorry, at Claire Fleisch. She wasn't too big on the ER. Mm. <laughs> she says, Davos own to Roro Uhoris for his spectacular olfactory skill. And Danny own to Zaro for splitting truth bombs all day, all night. Next, we have Susan Stacy at Black Eyed Lily who says, Davos the Spymaster owns White Harbor. From old fish foot to the lazy eel, he hears tales of lions and dragons. And then for the Danny chapter, Zara owns his chapter with his dancers and tapestries, ships and false compliments, tears and a bloody glove. Ooh. That's a good mention of the tears. Yes. Um, how often he just cries in this chapter. Um, it's pretty great. This person retweeted themselves to say this again. This is this must be how Julie, this is how I got this in my head. She retweets another one of her older tweets because I guess it, it works. The storm owns the storms own Saladar San and Davos. The best laid plans and all that. Thank you. Get out of my head. I'll read your next own. And for Danny, Stripe Back owns Barrison. Would you look back at our dying? Hashtag. <laughs> fight the good fight luck. in front of you before picking another. <laughs> Thank you. Good job, Anna. Thanks, Julie. Love me some hashtags. Our good friend Jerry, who's in Laos, says, yeah, he is. <laughs> own to the Davos chapter, <laughs> to the old fellow in the lazy eel, seems to know something about a certain young Targaryen prince. Who is he? Jerry, what the, don't put quotes around stuff. <laughs> and uh, Danny Owen goes to Danny herself. Could have cut and run, but knows that being a queen means sacrificing her own ends for her subjects. Next, we've got at Beauty Brienne who says Davos Owen goes to the mention of Rhaegar's dead son, who is totally not going to come up again ever. 
Yeah. Heathen King. Which King, one? King of Heathens. Danny owns to the Golden Company, who laughed at the last Targaryen prince to plead for them. Who are they aligned with now? Again? And Davos owned to Manderly. Recall in A Clash of Kings, he was charged with building a fleet for Rob. Now he has 23 warships. He has not been idle. Over on Facebook, Alma from Sister Act says, Owen for the Davos chapter <laughs> goes to the woman washing her underwear in the yes, fountain and hanging them God. up to dry on <laughs> the statue's God. trident. Often people seem to think that the Middle Ages were all prudishness. This is a good reminder that most people simply didn't have the space for luxuries like privacy. In most households, everyone slept in the same room and children were still conceived. Lawworthy <laughs> Owen for the Daenerys chapter goes to the phrase, quote, the sight of their arousal was arousing. George R. R. Martin certainly isn't foolproof against the occasional hilariously bad line. <laughs> Will you stop bolding and making birds in these tweets really big? Look at the two ones that are big. <laughs> I hate it. Um, next on Facebook, we have Reith Palazzolo who says, Davos own goes to the lazy eel for sounding so inviting with the oldest horrors of vilest wine and meat pies like to kill you. You know a place is bad if the locals avoid it. Simon Amundsen, owned to old Fishfoot for helping out with a laundry in White Harbor. Hashtag Mr. Clean. <laughs> Mr. Clean. Next up, we have an email from Travis who says, Two owns for Davos. Um, owned to a loyal and true hand of the king, Davos Seaworth, and his dreams. Imagining the war's end, Stan is sitting on the Iron Throne and sailing with his sons to see the dragons and all the wonders of the world. Oh, what a sweet vision it is. And then, owned to the Lord of White Harbor, Wyman Manderley, erecting new walls for defense, placing scorpions and spitfires at the ready, crossbowmen armed and watching while he raises his host, a patient, cautious man who is preparing for the wars to come. Thanks, Travis. And an email from Ben. Hey, guys. Longtime 15-year-old listener and first-time owner. I just caught up on my first reread with you guys. My Davos 2 own goes to the Sept of Snows and the Wolf's Den for existing, the brew house by the Wolf's Den for making black beer that's thick and tasty, and all the other cities that don't smell like an unwashed whore like King's Landing. And Daenerys own goes to Zaro Zohan Duxus for declaring war that involves camels on Danny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just got... Okay. That's good. For declaring war that involves camels. Okay, good. On Danny, instead of being dead like his show counterpart. Ben, that's pretty good own, man. Well done. And Ben, stay away from that black beer for a few more years, man. You know? <laughs> like six. Don't want the city watch to come after you. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, Kaylee Marks, who says, Davos' own goes to Davos for being just like his king, unable to stop himself from correcting people. Hashtag fewer. Hashtag Daenerys. Not Daniela or Dana. <laughs> I think I got that right. You got it. And Danny own to the beautiful silk map that shows Danny her first look at Valyria before the doom. That was it. Those were the owns. Our show is called Game of Owns, and those were the owns. Thank you for sticking with us this long. You must love this book as much as we do. This combined reading order. It's been fun. I like to feast How the dragons. How fun is this? Yeah, I love it. Continue to send in your owns uh, for our upcoming chapters. Believe it is Sam and John, Sam 2 in A Feast for Crows, and then John 4. Hard to believe we've done four of his chapters already. 
uh, in A Dance with Dragons. Sam and John, quite a pair, you guys. Dynamic duo. And uh, you can send us your owns in a number of ways. You can tweet at us at Game of Owns, scroll up on our Facebook wall at facebook.com slash Game of Owns, or like our good friend Ben, send us an email at contact at Game of Owns.com. We've also got our favorite podcast to record, A Squad of Ice and Fire, which is over on our Patreon if you're interested in checking that out. We were in New York this weekend, um, so we recorded some stuff from that trip in vehicles. I think all of the things were recorded on a bus and in my car. Um, So you can check out. (laughs) That sounds fun to you. Um, You can check out patreon.com slash goo. um, Support the show and check out A Squad of Ice and Fire. We also recorded a new one today and uh, Micah is caught up on Westworld. Hannah still hasn't watched a single frame of it, but we still (laughs) talked a lot about it. So Come on, Mm -hmm. Hannah. Nor will I ever. Actually, that's a lie. <laughs> I probably will. Get off the show. That but. was fun. And, and it was Micah who was wanting to talk about it. He really likes it. What door? Right, guys? Right. Right, Hannah? Bernard. Right, right. So there's that. Love Westworld jokes. And before we go, we'd like to thank Dollar Shave Club for sponsoring this episode. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash O-W-N-S. Okay, so we've been wanting to tell you guys about something for a long time. If we said a few weeks ago, there's something really fun we want to tell you about, and we've been working on it for a really long time, and we're not very good at announcing stuff on the podcast because uh, it's just the idea of the three of us uh, coming on a podcast together to talk about book chapters that we just read, and then taking that seriously enough to announce something just doesn't make a lot of sense. So no music or fanfare. We're just going to tell you about something that we're really excited about, and I'm just going to get right to it. We have been developing a new show with the premium podcasting network, Howl.fm, and we're very excited to do it. And at the end of this month, I believe on November 30th, our first episode will be live. My favorite part about what we get to do is not only talk about the books together, but we also get to go through the seasons and the show while it's on air. And selfishly, since I haven't been around only for season six, we are going to have the opportunity to go through, starting from season one, episode one, the very beginning... And talk about every single episode that has ever aired of Game of Thrones, which I'm really excited about because we haven't been able to do that together. Well, whose fault is that, honestly? Yeah, honestly, Hannah. <laughs> yeah. Honestly. Okay. Also, whatever. Micah and I, just to echo, we haven't done season one on the podcast ever. No. Nope. And season one is crazy. Yes, yeah, it'll be so fun to Ned go back. And Robert. Yeah. And God's pity. <laughs> That's right. (laughs) We're so excited. It's so cool. And we believe so much in how they're the people to align yourself with in uh, the world of podcasting. And we were delighted when they approached us with an opportunity to create something. And this is what we landed on. And uh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be really... I don't want to cuss. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking cool. (laughs) I think one of the great parts about this is the fact that a lot of our listeners, their favorite part about what we do takes place during the season. Not, of course, to take anything away from our on season, which is, of course, going through the books, but there's a lot to be said for the show. And this gives uh, listeners the opportunity, gives us the opportunity uh, to immerse ourselves in the show year round. So we're going to be doing this twice a month, two episodes a month. So there'll be plenty of time for you to watch along with us um, and, and keep up with as we go through the series again. And there's going to be plenty of time for you to send us your owns because you're going to be watching with us, right? We get to do those owns all over again. You get to send your owns for season one, episode one. I that know. is so cool. Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> Mike has already got it. <laughs> so we're, this is a completely different podcast. So that's kind of cool. 
And we're calling it Rewatch the Throne. Yeah. Yeah. Rewatch the Throne is our new podcast. We're going to be making episodes twice monthly. We are inviting a new host to the podcast, someone who has never seen Game of Thrones before ever. Fresh blood. Watching Game of Thrones with someone who has never seen it before. So I think that's going to be... I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Me too. If you'd like to listen to the new show, Hal is offering our listeners a month free. So you're going to be able to listen to a month's worth of our show and all of the other shows on their network. I don't have the list in front of me. It's it's a it's a big cast of, of folks that are honestly a lot more talented and known than we are. So this is this is kind of fun and it's a little bit intimidating, but we're hoping that enough of you are interested enough in our show to get a year-round dose of the podcast that we make during the season. And we're starting with 10 episodes of never-before-touched stuff from us. And it's going to be fun. We're really excited. I mean, just between having Hannah on through all of it and between having another host go through some of it, it's going to be just, I don't know, it's going to be really fun to revisit those old episodes. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. Go to Hal.fm, look at all that stuff. And when you're when you're signing up, use the promo code OWNS, and that's what will give you uh, the month free. So do that whenever you want, but that's going to be the place to do it. And we're really excited because they're they're literally making this happen. So we get to put the time into this, and it's going to be a blast. We hope that you like it. But everything's the same with us still on Goo, except that we're just going to be recording with each other more often. Sound good? Perfect. Best case scenario. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, until next time. Yeah, on that note. I think that's goodbye for now. Go to Con of Thrones. What are you thinking? There's dragons and pool parties. And a bear. We're looking into getting a bear. That's there. So many liabilities. Not really. 